Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 873. To me, putting an old piece of World War II history back on the road so people can see is nothing more rewarding than that. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts and motorcycle enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Mike Dunn. Hey, Mike, you have your helmet on. Are you ready to ride? Absolutely. All right. We'll have some fun here. Mike Dunn owns Vintage German Motorcycles in Riverside, California. He's one of the most respected restorers of World War II German motorcycles in the United States, and that includes BMWs, DKWs, and Sundaps. As owner-operator of the premier Sundap import sales and service operations, he's responsible for a very large amount of the Sundaps now in existence in the United States and America. His motorcycle restorations are best-of-show winners that have appeared in movies and on televisions, including Valkyrie and the History Channel. Mike travels to Europe to attend the annual Sundap Tour, and he's ridden over 8,000 kilometers on vintage German bikes throughout Europe. So, Mike, I have told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your business and a very obvious passion for old motorcycles? Yeah, my uh, my passion started, I think, when I was a kid, just really into the World War II stuff, uh, really intrigued by uh, the technology that the Germans had during this, this era. And to me, some of the best motorcycles were uh, created in this era. So, in turn, I started... Uh, having a passion for just wanting to own them. And then that led into uh, helping a lot of friends, which in turn led into my business, which now is uh, extremely busy and overwhelming of how much it's exploded in the last 10 years. Well, I got introduced to you by a guest that was on my show last week, Philip Richter, who you're building a bike for right now, restoring a bike for him. And he told me, man, you got to talk to Mike. This guy is the best of the best. He is having fun and this business has exploded. When you started this business, let me ask you first, how many years have you been doing this? Um, I started roughly about uh, 10 to 15 years ago is about when we started the business. And um, it was my wife who basically intrigued me to get going. And uh, she pushed me to start a business and get legit. I just kept helping all kinds of friends. And then my wife basically said, hey, we're not making any money and you're helping a lot of people, why don't we turn this around a little bit? And we did. <laughs> you know, like me, you married a smart woman. And uh, you also, like me, married a woman who supports you and kind of nudges you along. It was the same thing when I started this podcast. She goes, just do it. Go for it. What can happen? If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And here I am, 873 people later, getting to talk to you, Mike. And uh, it's congratulations for making it a go. I'm, to start a business that has a niche like this and be successful is really saying something. So we're going to learn a lot more about you along this journey, this road that we're traveling today. But first, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra. It's a nice way to get the uh, motorcycle tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So Mike, take the wheel. Well, I would have to say... My success quote that I live by daily is, if you work hard six days a week, you'll be successful in life. And that's <laughs> what I've stuck to. 
You know, another guy I had on the show just last week is uh, Steve Darnell of Vegas Rat Rods, and he said something very similar, although his was seven days a week. Luckily, you take one day you take one day off for yourself and go riding, I assume. You know, that's a reoccurring theme for all of my entrepreneurial guests here is it really is just about a whole lot of hard work, isn't it? Absolutely. I, um, I work very hard in my shop. At night, when I'm done, I'm still on a computer. I'm sending emails. I'm talking to people in Europe. I'm ordering parts. I'm dealing with questions from my website. I just don't stop. Even when I'm on vacation, if I can sneak in a moment to look on my phone and see who's writing me, I mean, I don't stop. My grandfather taught me to work hard in life. And if you want something, you have to work for it. And I live by those words. Uh, My father also taught me the same words. And so, therefore, I just, I work my butt off. Yeah. Well, it helps when you're working in a field you're so passionate about, right? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think I could be working this hard if it wasn't something that I'm really enjoying. Yeah. To me, putting an old piece of World War II history back on the road so people can see is nothing more rewarding than that. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's the secret sauce to life, and you have definitely figured out the recipe to that secret sauce for sure. Well, let's go back in time a little bit and have you share a story that instigated your passion for motorcycles. Is there a pivotal moment when you think back that you went, you know what, I am a bike guy? I would say... um Probably, yeah, about when I was probably 10 years old, 10 or 11 years old. Time, my stepdad had an old Honda XL something, like a 100. I don't know what it was, but it was, to me, it was huge. In, in reality, now it was a tiny little bike. Yes. But uh, I remember as a kid getting on that bike when he wasn't home and sneaking it out and, <laughs> and undoing the speedometer cable so it didn't clock any miles ah, and just riding guy. all over the mountains. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so it was then that I was like, man, I love this. And so every time my friends would be like, you want to ride my little YZ 180 or whatever, I'd always be like, yeah, I want to ride it. You know, and I think that's when it was a pivotal point in my life. When I was a little kid, I was just infatuated with uh, two wheels and just the fact of what you could do on a motorcycle. What was it about riding that motorcycle that just got under your skin? Definitely, uh, I would say the freedom. A lot of people say that about bikes and just when you're on a bike, it's just you and a piece of iron underneath you and there's nothing else. And it's the freedom of between you and the machine. You know, I agree completely. When I was young, my parents bought my sister and I Honda Trail 70s. We used to go down to Baja, California, Mexico and camp on the beach. And we'd ride those things up and down the beach. And you're right. You just felt like, and this is when I was, I was probably 9, 10, 11 years old. And you just felt like you were king. Uh, you know, with the wind in yeah. your face and I mean, just flying down the sand dunes and stuff. It was so much fun. And later, my friend Bobby Schmidt, he had bikes. Uh, he was a motocross racer, but he'd let me ride his bikes and we'd go off and ride. And yeah, there's nothing like getting out on the road or we were in the dirt in those days because it was safer, but out on the road on a bike, it's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so much fun. Well, Mike, let's take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. Now you've been in business for about 15 years here and no doubt this road has been fraught with some gravel and tight turns and maybe a few spills here and there. Talk about a huge failure or a big challenge that you faced in getting this business going. Take us there, kind of walk us through it, but then tell us how that experience helped you you gain even more momentum on this ride of your life? I would say uh, probably my biggest challenge back then was in the vintage German motorcycle world, like for instance, in Europe, it's a pretty tight niche community. 
And uh, I didn't speak any German. I couldn't write any German. I couldn't read any German. And I found myself going on a lot of websites, forums, and trying to just listen to people's conversations and and learning about bikes and trying to get into this so-called, just like the internet niche where I could learn from people. And nobody was willing to help me. I found myself beating on doors, asking for help and asking repetitive questions on forums like, Hello, I'm talking because I knew people spoke English, but nobody was answering me. Yes. So I just kept being repetitive and repetitive. And then finally, little, little by little, people started being like, well, this guy from America is not going to go away if we don't start <laughs> answering him. So yeah. people started answering me. And then uh, and that started playing into effect. And then I started acquiring friendships with a lot of people. And then uh, I established an extremely good relationship with one of the premier Sundop uh, leaders in the world, which his name is Mike Eichner. He's uh, out of uh, Markov in Germany. And it was him who really took me under his wing. And here was the guy who was the premier guy. And, and that relationship with him was based truly on me buying some parts and then just asking questions and asking questions. And I went to his door. And I think it was the day that I knocked on his door. He was just shocked. Like, <laughs> you came from America? Oh, my gosh. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah I came here to be to be your friend and yeah. buy some parts. Yeah, would you let me in? You know? Let's have a beer. <laughs> yeah. And it was uh, then that uh, changed everything, Mark. Yeah, you know, your story is is not unlike so many of the entrepreneurs who've been guests here on Cars, yeah. Tenacity and persistence. And you can do it in a polite way, and that's what gets those yep. doors open, and that's what you did exactly. Yeah, I, it works if you just stick with it, but it takes patience, it takes time and focus, and you know, I'm really proud of you that you stuck with it. I had a guest on the show that wanted to work on Italian cars, and he went from Japan, went to Italy, didn't speak the language, and just knocked on this guy's door and said, I want to work for you. And the guy goes, whoop. Who are you? Where did you come from? Exactly. And he only spoke Japanese, but his persistence and tenacity finally got him in the door, finally got him a job with this Italian coach builder. And that's what you have to do. And it doesn't happen overnight. There are very few, if any, overnight successes in any of this this thing we call life here. So I love that story. A great lesson for people out there. Let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a, a career aha moment. Now, one of them would be when your wife said, you know what? Why don't you stop doing all this work for free and start a business around all this talent you have on bikes? But is there an aha moment in your career that really stands out that you would share? You kind of nailed one, Mark, like with my wife. You know, she was the one, you know, you need to start this your own business. You're doing this and this and this and you're not, you're not making any money and you could be making money. And so that was one of the aha moments. But I would say, um, Man, you know what, Mark? That's going to be it. That for me, that's probably it, man. It was that one. <laughs> yeah. So I think that answers that quickly. <laughs> and again, it goes back to having great people around you, supportive people, and a great partner in life, uh, especially uh, a spouse that is willing to let you take a chance and kind of push you out of the comfort zone there a little bit because a lot of people don't have spouses like that. You know, they want no. a real safe, secure things. So uh, again, you and I are very fortunate. We married the right women for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how about a proudest career moment? Now, no doubt you have made many people very happy. When Philip talked about you, I mean, it was glowing accolades, just so excited about what you're building for him. Is there a proudest career moment that you could share with us? You know, I've got a few of them and um, they keep coming more and more. And I think my biggest reward is um, people who, for instance, Philip Richter, extremely happy with uh, 
the restoration we did on one of his bikes. Uh, I had another guy named Daryl Cutter up in Massachusetts was extremely happy with his bike. You know, my bikes take a long time to do. I don't knock these out in a year. Sometimes restorations can take one to three years for me. Wow. It just depends on what I'm doing and people have to be patient because in the end, you'll truly have a remarkable bike. And so I would definitely say that, you know, those proudest moments are those people that have always come back to me and said, thank you. And, you know, I'm grateful for what you did. And so um, it makes me like right on them. You know, I think to myself, I'm doing the right thing. You know, not everyone's happy, Mark. There's always people that are like, where's my bike? And it's taking forever. And you know what? I'm banging them out as fast as I can. I'm kind of like a one-man shop, even though I got a couple friends who will help me. I got a guy who comes mm-hmm. all the way down from Canada. One of my best friends comes down from Canada, helps me out, doesn't ask for anything. And he's turned out to be extremely good friend where I've taken him on three tours into Germany now with me. And so, and he was another person who was a customer and became one of my good friends. Well, that's the best. Well, let's explain to some listeners out there a little bit about this because I've been around a lot of restoration shops, cars being restored. So I understand the process if you're going to do a a car or a bike right. And a lot of these TV shows you watch these days where they build a car in a week, we all pretty much know, and I think even people not in the restoration world knows, it's not quite real. (laughs) You just can't do it. So when Philip talked about the bike you're doing for him, the bike you've done, the bike you're doing, I mean, details like how the electrical cords are wound in the headlight bucket. Explain to some of our listeners out there that don't get, why would it take a year or two to build a motorcycle? That doesn't make sense. What are some of the nuances that really add up to the time that's required to do it right? I would say, uh, you know, it starts with the basics. You tear a bike down, you're tearing down a piece of machinery that's been Mickey Mouse for 70-something years since World War II. And then you're documenting everything that you got. You're going over every single nut and bolt to make sure that they're original. And if they're not, you're trashing them. And then you're making a list of everything you need. And then after that, then you start ordering parts. Then it's complete bike disassembly and buying what you need and basically the hardest part is like time consuming on taking every single nut and bolt to the black oxide or to the CAD plating place. Painting. Painters are known to not be the fastest guys in the world. (laughs) And go to the paint shop and you're waiting and waiting and waiting for the paint. Chrome shop, waiting for the chrome shop. Then on top of it, I have to have a life somewhere in the middle of all this. So I try to squeeze in my family in the middle of building all these bikes and research. I spend a lot of time going through archives of BMW archives. I spend a lot of time. I've got thousands of photos of uh, Sundops from World War II, and I will meticulously go over every photo. And, and if I'm looking for a light cover on the back of a bike, and I'm like, I saw one of these a long time ago, I'll thumb through and thumb through and thumb through until I find those photos that I'm looking for. And it might be a light cover. It might be the way a wire is routed out of the side of a frame and how it goes into the headlight. I'll study a bucket headlight in, on BMW archives of how the wires come inside, what kind of wires they are, what ends are on them, the colors. I mean, I just, it takes a lot of time. And then when you're done, it could be, you know, two years, three years for a bike. It just, it really all depends, Mark, but it's very time consuming. It's not something that's done overnight. And the knowledge that I've learned and what I've managed to compile in my head 
it's like I always ask myself, man, is there room for more? Because I don't know, I've crammed a lot of crap in there. <laughs> the amazing thing about the brain, it it just it will it'll keep accepting material. It's not like yeah. a rand RAM hard drive that has a limited capacity. Our brains are amazing. <laughs> well, I know Philip talked about even some of the details down to the the bolt heads had to be marked the correct way for that era bike. And you you said it really well. These old cars, these old bikes have been Mickey Moused over the years. People have replaced screws with the wrong screws. They put wrong parts on them. They've done things themselves. So when you get a bike, it could be completely wrong, right? Absolutely. I mean, let's take, for example, the BMW R12. Motorcycle was made from 35 to 41. Great flathead valve motor- uh, motorcycle, military bike and a civilian bike. They made both during pre-war and wartime. And... I always tell people when like, I want an R12. And I, the first thing I write somebody back, I tell them, the R12 is the most molested bike of World War II, meaning <laughs> it's been Mickey Moused and cobbled on so many times. I would say it wasn't until the last 10 to 15 years that the parts business for all these old bikes start to really explode. And so you can imagine, it's like you give a farmer a bike and you say, keep it running for freaking 60 years and I'm not going to give you any parts. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. And that's, that's what's happened over a lot of these bikes. And so that in turn is like these bikes are just cobbled together. And then you never get them or seldom do you get a mark where you're like, wow, man, this thing's really got all the original stuff still or it's still got this. Right. Most of the time they're Mickey Mask and, and cobbled together over the years. Yeah, it's amazing the research that goes into it. I was on the lawn at Pebble Beach this past summer talking to Bruce McCaw, who ended up with the best of show winning car, that beautiful Mercedes. And he was telling me some of the stories that when they dug that thing out of basically the basement in the Indianapolis Motor Museum is where that car came from, of trying to figure out all the details on that car so that it could be correct. And I think research is the key thing. And a lot of people think, well, I mean, I got to pay for all those hours of research. It's like, well, yeah, unless you want to do it yourself. <laughs> Good luck. Have fun. Exactly. But I think the other part of it is is someone like you that has so much information in your mind from just experience that you can bring forward to a restoration project and do it right. Thanks for walking us through the challenges that occur. And there's a lot more. I know there are. Well, let's go back in time and talk about your first really special car or motorcycle. I know you talked about that one you used to sneak out of your dad's garage. But is there one that you got, maybe your first bike that really stands out that you could share with us? Yeah, definitely. Um, the first bike that German World War II bike that I ever owned that I wish that I still owned was a 1944 DKW or DKV uh, NC uh, 350-1. And this bike I had bought, I knew nothing about DKWs. I knew nothing about what they were, what was right, what was wrong. I just saw it. I thought it looked cool. I did a little bit of looking around at other people's bikes, and it was that bike that I bought. And that bike was probably the the best one I've ever had. I really enjoy that bike. Now, DKW, is is that the same as the automotive DKW that merged into Auto Union? Absolutely. A lot of people don't realize this or know this, but DKW is a company of Auto Union, and Auto Union is comprised of Audi, Vonder, Hork, and DKV, and they make up Auto Union. Thus, you have all the rings. Each ring represents a company. Very cool. Well, DKW bikes, you do not see many of those around. That's a pretty darn rare bike. And is that bike your seller's remorse story? Is that the one that you've owned that you wish you had back? 
It is the one that I own and I wish I had back. It is my seller's remorse. Uh, the good news is the gentleman who owns it is a good friend of mine. I can go ride it whenever I want. I know exactly where it's at. And he knows <laughs> that if he ever wants to get rid of it, it needs to come back to me. But I don't regret it, you know, 100%. I, I regret about 50% right now. Yeah, well, it's nice when you let something go to a friend or someone you know, and you have that kind of first right to refusal if they ever want to let it go so that someday you can get it back. But getting to visit it and ride it, that's not a bad thing. So, you know, it's uh, it's nice that at least you know where it is. Most of my guests don't know where that seller's remorse story has gone, and they would love desperately to know where that car or bike is. So I'm glad that you know where yours is. Absolutely. Yeah, let's talk about today and what has you excited and fired up. What are some of the cool things that you're working on right now that you can share with us? Well, right now I've got some really exciting projects in my shop. I have uh, two uh, BMW R5 motorcycles. They both belong to Philip Richter out of New York. And uh, Mm -hmm. one's a 36, one's a 37. Really a rare motorcycle, extremely um, popular back in the 30s. And so I have those two. And then I have another Zundop K600 I'm working on. I've got a couple R12s, a Zundop K800. And, but the one bike that's in here right now that's extremely valuable, extremely rare, is a BMW R17. So it's an overhead valve version of the BMW R12. And Ooh. that is a really rare bike. There's very few in the USA. I would say there's probably less than 5 to 10 in the USA. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Well, that sounds fantastic. Well, I know Philip is very excited about his bikes that uh, you're building for him. And I'll remind our listeners, if you didn't hear that show, go back and check out Philip Richter on the Cars yeah website. Also, check out, he has a very cool blog, Turtle Garage, which uh, is a neat place that you can go. He writes stories and things, which is really fun. In fact, I'll be talking with him this afternoon, so I'll let him know that you and I were talking today. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Mike. If you were a motorcycle... What kind of motorcycle would Mike be and why? I would say <laughs> I was a motorcycle. Uh, well, definitely it's got to be a 1930s, 1940s bike. And uh-huh. it's got to be probably a Sundop, like a KS600. To me, that was the most widely used war bike of the war. And to just ask it questions of where have you been, who rode you, where did you go? I mean, there's so many what if questions and and what happened over your history of a, of a bike, you know, explain. And I wish bikes can talk because you look at them and you just wonder, you know, how did you get yeah. this battle scar of a weld on you? And how did you get this? And you start thinking about the bike, like, how did them, who did this to you? And they're almost <laughs> like a human, you know? And so yeah. if that was a bike, it would definitely be a Zundop KS600, uh, you know, wartime era bike from 40 to 45 without no doubt. Well, Mike, you're a unique guy, and you're definitely the only person out of 872, 73 people that would be a Zundop. So, uh, <laughs> perfect fit for you. Well, Mike, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal or a twist of the wrist, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah. And I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah! website at com. 
If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. What's the worst thing for your car's interior? No, it's not that milkshake the kids spilled in the back seat. It's the sun. Harmful UV rays cook your automobile's interior hour after hour when it's parked outside, even on a cloudy day. What's the solution? Covercraft sunscreens. They protect your dash, seats, and interior finishes from those damaging UV rays while keeping the interior temperature tolerable, even on the hottest summer days. No more painfully sizzling seats and steering wheels for you. They unfold quickly and easily install, stay where you put them, and are custom pattern for an exact fit. The foam core acts as a cooling insulator, and you can get yours in different colors and finishes. And they even fold up easily and store under your seat or on the floor. I've used Covercraft sunscreens for years, and they are a fast and easy solution that protect my beloved cars when they're not in the garage. Learn more and order yours at Covercraft.com. Want to protect your entire vehicle? Get a car cover from Covercraft. They have those too. That's Covercraft.com. And tell them Mark sent you. Okay, Mike, we are back and we're entering the last lap and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. What's the best motorcycle advice you've ever received? Uh, definitely the best motorcycle advice I've ever received uh, was from my buddy Mike Eichner in Germany. Mike told me, if it came from the factory like this, you can put it back together just like this and it'll work fine. If you use all the original parts, it'll work. And he's right. You put it back the way it should be, it'll work fine. Absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your successes over the years? Kind of going back to what I said, I just work hard six days a week. I hit the pavement hard and I, I stop. You know, I stop in the afternoon, but I hit it hard at 7 a.m. And, uh, you know, I just work hard. And it's just that's how you, you're successful in life. You just you work hard, you buckle down. And if you want something, work for it and you'll achieve it. There you go. Now, is there a resource out there that you would like to share with our listeners that you found really useful? Um, there's a couple links on my website, some of the forums that I've belonged to. And uh, the Moto Club forum in Germany is probably one of the best ones. And I think those links are on my website. And those are really useful for up and coming people that are into this business. And, and I can highly suggest those, those websites. And I can also suggest tie yourself in with somebody who's knowledgeable. And once you tie yourself in with them, Become friends with them and suck them dry for every information you can get. Because this is going to go away over time. You know what I mean, Mark? It won't be here forever. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the thing I found with car people, motorcycle people is when they're passionate, they love to share 
what they know with others. This is a very unique culture that we live in with the car and motorcycle world. People are helpful. They really are. And it doesn't matter which socioeconomic level they're from. They're willing to help. You'd be amazed how many people have helped me. And just by being guests on this show, they come from all different levels of life, but they all we all have one thing in common. If it rolls on rubber, we love it. Exactly. Now, if you could sit down and have a, a nice German beer with anyone in the automotive field, living or deceased, who would that person be? Man, it would be, I know this is a really bizarre answer, but if I could sit down with anyone who's probably more than likely deceased now, it would be any of the factory workers who've worked at BMW, DKW, Sundop, and just ask them, how did you do this? How did you do this? How did you do <laughs> yeah. this? Because yeah. there's only so many photos out there and I can only get so much information from photos and you get a lot of information from actual mechanics and engineers. Oh, and it's those people that I would really love to talk to. Like, why did you guys do it like this? Oh man, I just, you have no idea. I just, that's some of my dreams of talk to those people. I can only imagine. Well, how about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners should crack open and read as well? No question. There's one book that I really like called Hot Motors, Cold Feet. It's by Helmut Gunther. And it's his story of when he went into training to be a crab melder or a dispatch rider on a motorcycle. And his journey from Germany to France to the Soviet Union and back all on uh, German World War II bikes. And it's just incredibly a great book to read. It's in English. And uh, it's definitely the one I would recommend and share. And you can buy it on Amazon. I've seen it uh, at RZM Imports, and it's available to buy. There you go. Well, listeners, I'll remind you, you can find all these great resources Mike has been so kind to share on his show notes page at the Cars yeah website. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Mike Dunn, D-U-N-N, and you'll find links. And that book will be listed there as well. I've got a cool place on the website called Guest Recommended Books, where this book and all the past guest recommended books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. You just push, goes right to Amazon. You got it. It's easy. All right. We're up to the checkered flag here, Mike. And this last question can be a bit of a, excuse me for using a car metaphor, a doozy. Yeah. If you could have only one collector motorcycle in your garage... I'll stick with motorcycles here because that's your passion. But money's no object. I'm going to buy you any cool bike that exists in the world today. What would that be and why? Well, uh, definitely, if it can be any bike, um, I would say it would have to be the first BMW R12 I've ever owned, which I no longer own. But it would be a BMW R12 that was uh, owned by me and I took my wife out on a date on it and I would like to get that bike back. Do you know where the bike is now? Yeah, it's in my shop. It belongs to Philip Richter now. Oh my gosh, Philip. Well, listen, I'm like I said, I'm <laughs> talking to him this afternoon. Maybe I'll try to twist his arm. I'm sure with the right size check, he would let that go. Maybe he wouldn't, but uh, <laughs> you know, once again, you do know where the bike lives. So if he ever wants to, uh, you know, let that go to take that money to buy something else with he knows the first guy to call so it's nice that it it's a bike that's in your shop uh maybe you can take your wife for a ride on that before you return it to him if philip's okay with that but uh yeah ah yeah that's cool that's cool what is it about that bike that's so special for you um it was the first one that i had bought many years ago um i imported it over here and you know i rode it around for a little while then i blew the motor up and then i fixed the motor 
And after I had fixed the motor, I met my wife at the time and we went out on a date on it. And so I've got one photo of us on this bike on a date together. And that bike, for some reason, just means a lot to me. Like when I still see it, I'm like, man, you know, and, and it just, I don't know, it just always stuck to me. Like it's, it's one of those memories that you establish in something and you'll always enjoy it. And not to go off the, the beaten trail here of bikes, but I'll venture into the car world. My father, when I was a little boy, is from England, has always been into British cars, and he had an Austin Healey Bug-Eyed Sprite. And man, do I have a lot of memories in that Bug-Eyed Sprite. And I would love to have another one of those, you know. And there I am, you know, I'm not really much of a, a huge car guy, but boy, I would love to own that car again. And it's not that expensive, but it was the memories that stuck in my head, just like the motorcycle, that Bug-Eyed Sprite stuck in my head. Yeah, I've got the same memories with my father. He had a 49 MG TC when I was a little boy, and I've never had a TC. I've driven a couple. Once you drive one of those, you kind of go, oh, I'm not sure if I really want one of these. <laughs> you know, you got to get in a different mindset when you get in those old cars. But uh, yeah, it's the memories that we share and the memories with our fathers. And I know you're a first generation person to be born in the U.S. Your entire family's from from the United Kingdom. Is that right? That's right. Uh, everyone's from uh, Bolton, which is a uh, little north of Manchester. So my dad and everyone came over here in the late 50s uh, from my grandfather, early 60s. And uh, I came and then I was uh, born and raised in Los Angeles. And, you know, and here I am today now, you know, it's it's kind of weird because my grandmother's 87 years old or somewhere around that age right now. And she grew up during the war. She grew up when there was rationing. She grew up when there was bombs and stuff being thrown on her communities that she lived in. And she still doesn't understand to this day why I like those bloody German motorcycles. <laughs> well, she has a very different perspective of them uh, than you do. That's for yeah. sure. And yeah. and kudos to her for, uh, wow, for being around this long and for surviving through those horrific times. Ah, uh, very nice memories. Very nice memories. Well, Mike, you've taken me on a great bike ride today. I knew you would. I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. And I want to thank you for sharing your motorcycle journey with me and the Car Shout listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you ride off into the sunset with your wife on the back of that BMW R12? I would definitely say, um, you know what? If you want something in life, work hard, stay persistent, don't give up. And, uh, if you have a dream or a desire to own something, then go after that dream or desire. Make it a reality. Anything's possible if you just work hard. Absolutely. Great words from a guy who's figured it out and he does it every day. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? Uh, you can contact me at my uh, website at VintageGermanMotorcycles.com. There you go. Yep, that's it. And they'll take you right to me. You can contact me on there and... uh I'm always happy and willing to help anyone uh, in this community that's into these bikes. I didn't have a lot of people right at my feet, and I feel like it's the best thing I can do is return that favor back to the community, and I'm always willing to help people. Hang it forward. You are a stand-up guy. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything Mike has shared again on his show notes page here at CarsYeah.com. Just go to CarsYeah.com. Type in Mike Dunn, and you'll find his page and all those links. I would encourage you to check out his website. It's very cool. See some of these projects he's working on. And if you need some help with an old bike, Mike's your guy. Mike, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Shout out to Philip Richter for putting us together. Thank you, Philip. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. 
All right, Mark. Thank you very much. And you have a good one. You too, my friend. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!